0: Thanks so much for being with us today. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, and uh, we're finishing a series today, we're actually closing a series out uh, that we have been calling If Jesus Rose from the Dead. And so if you are a guest with us here today, if it's your first time here, once again, I want to extend a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest. We hope you feel welcomed and uh, we're glad you're here. But you are catching us a little bit at the end of a conversation. And uh, and so because of that, let me see if I can do, uh, if I can help kind of recap a little bit uh, the topic that we've been addressing here um, in this series. So the, the topic that we've been talking about, I think the title really kind of says it all. Uh, we've been navigating for the past six weeks through this question, and that's really this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then what are the implications of that, right? What are the, in other words, what are the implications or what are the ramifications of a resurrection, If Jesus rose from the dead, what actually changes as a result of that? And here's why I think this is such an important question and is really worth our consideration is because here's the thing. I think whether you're a person who follows Jesus or doesn't follow Jesus, so maybe uh, for some of you, you're investigating Jesus, still trying to figure that out. For many of us, we follow Jesus. My guess is that regardless if you follow Jesus or not, you're probably not surprised, it doesn't surprise anybody, that Christians are people who believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. My guess is that doesn't surprise you. Christians are people who believe that Jesus Christ literally, bodily, physically, historically rose from the dead. That's actually one of the staples of the Christian faith. That's what we celebrate during Easter. So I don't think anyone's surprised by that, but the reason I think this is such an important question is because what I have found, and my guess is what you have found as well, is that many people have never really stopped to think through and ask the question, if he did raise from the dead, then what does that change? All right, what are the implications and what actually results from uh, that belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And here, here's what we said in the series. We said that, that really the resurrection has very far-reaching implications. And when you look in the Bible and you see some of the patterns of behavior and life change and ways that people think because of the resurrection... It has very, very, very far-reaching implications. In fact, my guess is the resurrection of Jesus Christ probably has more far-reaching implications than you might first initially recognize. And so, uh, so that's what we're kind of processing through. In fact, just to give you a glimpse of what we've discovered so far, we've went into the Bible and here's what we found. We said that if Jesus rose from the dead, it means something. And here's what we said. We said the first thing is this. It says, if Jesus rose from the dead, it says something about Jesus, And I don't think think that that's probably real shocking to you, right? But if Jesus rose from the dead, well, that clearly says something about Jesus, right? That means that he is uniquely qualified in ways that other people are not uniquely qualified. But here's what we said. We said it means more than just something about Jesus. We said if Jesus rose from the dead, it actually says something about my past. And not only that, we said if Jesus rose from the dead, it actually speaks to my present situation, that if Jesus rose from the dead, it means something right now, We said it means something about my present life. It means something about my present purpose. And we said it actually speaks to my present pain. By the way, I would encourage you, if you missed any of these previous conversations, I'd encourage you to go back. You can listen to those. You can watch those. on our our website, on our podcast. You can also check those out on our app. We actually spent an entire week dedicated to each one of these topics. So if that kind of spikes your curiosity or if you're interested in hearing a little bit of what's behind that, I encourage you to go back and check that out. But today, as we finish this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about how the resurrection doesn't just say something about my past and it doesn't just say something about my present, but we're gonna talk about this. If Jesus rose from the dead, it says something about my future, says something about my future life. It says something about my future hope, that if Jesus rose from the dead, then we can know something. We can know something about what our future life is going to look like, about what our future hope truly is going to be like. And so we can be confident about something. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about if Jesus rose from the dead, what can we know about the future life, That's in store for us. And so to have this conversation, I want to encourage you, if you would, why don't you grab your Bibles with me, and we're going to turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Why don't you turn with me there, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. If you did not bring a Bible or if you don't have a Bible app on your device, you can just use one of our Bibles, page 805 is where you're gonna find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So go ahead and get there. And then let me also just say that if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to have a Bible. So you can just take one of ours. We would, we would love for you to, to do that. So 2 Corinthians 5, go ahead and get there. As you're finding 2 Corinthians 5, um, so I think it was probably maybe sometime within this last year. I don't remember exactly when it was, But I was reading this book, and um, I don't even really remember what the book was, but I remember that the book was talking about something that really kind of captivated my imagination, and it really was something that was thought-provoking to me. And in this book, they were talking about um, Christopher Columbus, and so... I think all of us know Christopher Columbus set, set sail on his first expedition to cross the Atlantic, 1492, right? This kind of common knowledge type of thing. But what I didn't know was this, and some of you maybe already knew this, but I didn't know this. I guess before Christopher Columbus went on this expedition, this first expedition, he was trying to raise support. He was trying to fund this expedition. And so he went to different groups to submit a proposal to see if they would help kind of fund this this uh, this trip that he was going to. Uh, this expedition that he was gonna go on. And so he went to this group of people that were called the Talavera Commission. I don't know if you guys have ever heard, I've never heard of these guys before. It's called the Talavera Commission. This was a group of people that was comprised of intellectuals of that time and also of nautical experts. Okay, so these were people who sailed, they were really well acquainted with the ocean and they were the intellectuals of the time. And so he went to this group, uh, Christopher Columbus and his team went to this group, they submitted a proposal to seek out funding. And after kind of reviewing his proposal, the Talavera Commission came back to Columbus and said, we're not going to give you anything. We're not going to give you a a dime, right? We're not going to support your expedition in any way. And they released a statement that said, why? And I thought this was so interesting. Here's what it said. This is from the Talavera Commission in 1491. The mission that Columbus has proposed is folly, Okay, In other words, foolish. It's foolish. Why? Among the many reasons that might be cited as to the folly of his enterprise is the, get this, the well-known fact that the Atlantic Ocean is infinite and therefore is impossible to traverse. So the Talavera Commission looked at Columbus and they said, we're not going to fund you a dime. Why not? They said, because everybody knows the Atlantic Ocean is not possible to pass over. It's impossible to cross because it is infinite. That is common knowledge to everybody. And I thought it was interesting because as I thought about it, I thought, you know, that makes sense. That makes sense because to this group of people at this period of time, experiential evidence told them that nobody can cross the Atlantic Ocean. Why? Because everyone who had tried, right, failed, and everyone who had, most people who tried never came back. So there was a bunch of people who tried to cross the Atlantic, but they, they died in the process and they never came back. And so because of that, the Talavera Commission said, everybody knows The Atlantic is infinite and you can never get across it. And that got me thinking, I wonder how crazy it was when Columbus came back. I wonder how crazy it was after that first expedition when he returned back to Spain and he told everyone, no, 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 it is totally possible. In fact, we've been to the other side and we've come back and we can tell you something of what it's like. And I I thought it was interesting because I thought, man, that must have been an absolute paradigm-shifting moment for that entire community of people because what they previously thought was not possible, all of a sudden, their view of reality was completely transformed, that there was a new reality because Christopher Columbus came back as a pioneer who said what you previously thought was not possible, we have proved is possible, and we can know something about what's on the other side. Now, here's why I tell you that. If Jesus rose from the dead, just go with me with this on a second, even if you don't believe that, If he did though, if he did, doesn't that not say that in some sense that Jesus is a pioneer? That because he's returned from the grave, he introduces us to a new reality that we did not previously think was possible. That he opens up a new paradigm that previously our minds may have been closed to. See, because here's the thing. You guys have probably noticed just as well as I have. It seems like every year there's a new book that comes out that makes the New York Times bestseller list or there's a new article that's written and some even medical journals that are written that are all speculating about what happens after we die, right? Is there life after death? And if there is, what does it look like? But here's the truth. All of the, and I think all of us know this, all of these books and all of these articles and all of these medical journals that are written on that topic are mere speculation. And they're mere speculation, why? Why? Because no one has ever come back. No one has ever died and then has returned. Now, of course, there's some books out there where it's like this guy, you know, his heart stopped for 10 minutes and then he was resuscitated and he saw a light and, you know, saw some of his family members and his childhood dog was there or whatever. And you have books like that. But let's be honest, no one dies, stays dead, then comes back to life and stays alive. Nobody does that. But if Jesus rose from the dead, which is what? Those who follow Jesus believe. Well that means that there's something we can know. There's something we can know about what this, what life after this life is like. It gives us a window into a broader reality. In fact, I think it's interesting in the passage we're about to read, we're gonna start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but right before chapter 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I just want you to glance at what's something that the Apostle Paul says. So look down real quick, if you would, in your Bibles at verse 14. And here's what he says. The Apostle Paul says, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and he will present us with you to himself, All right. So, so you see what Paul says here. He says, because Jesus rose from the dead, he says, we can know something about what our future life is going to be like. We can know something about the future hope that we have if Jesus rose from the dead. That's Paul's logic, And so now he's gonna go in 2 Corinthians chapter five and he's gonna start to explain to us what is that future life going to be like? What is the future hope that those who follow Jesus have if Jesus rose from the dead? So we're gonna start in uh, 2 Corinthians five, verse one. So let's take a look. Here's what Paul says. He says, for we know that if this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. We have an eternal house in heaven. That's not built by human hands. All right, so let's just pause there for a second. Let me just kind of recap. Here, here what Paul is doing is he's explaining the future hope that we have, what the resurrection tells us about our future life. And so the metaphor that he uses, you probably notice, the metaphor the apostle Paul uses, he, he says that going from this present existence that we are in right now, in this body, and going into the future life, life after this existence that we have right now, the metaphor he uses is he says that that is going to be a lot like relocating from what he calls an earthly tent into an eternal house. So so Paul says, what is our future life gonna be like? Here's the metaphor he chooses. He says, our future life is gonna be like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, we know that our future life is gonna be like relocating from an earthly tent into an eternal house. It's the illustration that Paul chooses. Now, I think this illustration he uses, I think is very rich and I think it's really profound. In fact, he's gonna use this illustration, this metaphor of an earthly tent in an in a, in a eternal house. He's gonna use this for this entire passage that we're about to read. And so because of that, I thought maybe it'd be helpful for us just here today as we consider this future life and the hope that we have because of the resurrection. I thought, let's just go with that metaphor. Let's just think through that metaphor together. So I actually even brought with me, and you probably saw this and probably wondered why I was here. I brought a tent with me. So this is actually my kid's tent. I don't know if you can tell because it's extremely small. We have another tent. We, we went camping in this one in our backyard once. And after that, I never got, because you can't even fit my whole body in here and, and stretch out. And that's, that's a whole other story. So I brought this with me, though. I thought, okay, let's just, let's just think through Paul's metaphor. Okay, He says, this is what the future life's gonna be like. It's gonna be like relocating from an earthly tent into an eternal house. That's what it's gonna be like, all right? Now, before we dig into this metaphor, I wanna just mention, for a little bit of background sake, why I think the Apostle Paul chooses this metaphor, all right? And there's a couple of reasons. The first one is this. Um, I keep saying the Apostle Paul, and if you're not a church person or if, you don't know, if you're not a Bible person, you might not know who I'm talking about. So let me kind of explain who he, he was. So Paul, um, he was an apostle, which means that he was one who was sent. He was, he was one that was sent by God to do the mission, of, um, the mission of Christ. And so he was a guy who was a very influential leader in the early church movement. Paul was responsible for planning churches, he went on missionary journeys. Uh, he was just an incredible, incredible, incredible leader. Uh, but the thing about Paul that you might not know, uh, even if you know who the Apostle Paul is, is you might not know that one of the things that he did as an occupation is he was a tent maker. And so whenever the Apostle Paul would go into a town and he was trying to plant a church and he needed to make money, he would make tents. This is what he did for a living. He was a tent maker. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that. So I think one of the reasons the Apostle Paul uses this metaphor is because he sees tents all the time, right? He made tents; He was probably thinking about it quite a bit. But there's another reason, a second reason, I think a more profound reason why the Apostle Paul maybe chooses this metaphor. And part of it has to do with his background. So again, what you might not know about the Apostle Paul is before he became a Christian, Uh, we actually know the Bible tells us that he would have been a religious Jewish leader. So he was a Pharisee. And of course, what that meant was that he was well-versed in the Old Testament. He would have known the Old Testament uh, frontwards, backwards. He was a scholar of the Old Testament. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, the reason that's important is because if you know anything about the Old Testament, what you'll find is really fascinating is that there is this ongoing theme throughout the Old Testament. It's almost kind of weird. This ongoing theme about tents. This idea of tents shows up a lot in the Bible. So I'll just give you a quick snapshot of what I'm talking about. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the, the God's nation, Israel, for an entire period of time, for 40 years, the Bible says they lived in the wilderness and they meandered around. And when they did that, they lived in tents. And so they they lived in tents for 40 years, waiting for a promised land, a permanent place that God had for that nation. And what's really interesting is the Bible actually tells us that while God's people were living in tents in the wilderness, God commanded them to do something really weird. God said, I want you to build me a tabernacle, and that's where I am going to dwell. That's what God said to his people. Now, tabernacle, you maybe have heard that word. That is a really fancy pants, churchy word that literally just means tent. That's what the word tabernacle literally means. It means tent. And so God commanded his people. He said, when you guys are out you know, in the wilderness and you're living in tents, he says, I want you to build me a tent too. And I wanna come and I wanna dwell with you and I wanna be with you. And essentially he says, I want to camp alongside of you. And then when the Bible says they went into the promised land, which was a permanent residence that God had for them, that God moved from a tabernacle into a temple, something that was more permanent. So all I'm saying is this, you can see that this metaphor he uses is very, very, very rich. And so here's what the Apostle Paul does. He says that our future life that we have can be compared to this. It's going from an earthly tent, he says, into eternal house. And so here's what he's gonna show us. And so this is what we're gonna think through a little bit. He's gonna compare for us the difference between an earthly tent and an eternal house. So here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, maybe you wanna jot this down. The Apostle Paul is gonna show us that a tent, like let's just think about this a little bit, a tent is flimsy, but a house is Enduring. A house is strong. Right? Now, of course, this is no surprise. We all know this, but if you think about it for a minute, the metaphor he's using, a tent, if you think about a tent, a tent is like flimsy, right? There's not a lot to it. It's made of fabric and just a couple of poles. Back in the first century, it would have been made of leather, most likely. Sometimes it would be made of woven goat hair or camel hair. That must that couldn't have been comfortable, right? And so so tents, there's not a lot to them, they're flimsy. They're easy to to put up. They're easy to take down. This tent that I'm showing you right now, I put this up myself in like less than 10 minutes. I could tear it down quicker than that. It's flimsy, right? And, and, And a house is made to be permanent. In fact, you see this same thing. The apostle Paul says it. If you look at verse one again, he says, for we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, this is a key word. He says, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, that is not built by human hands. That's fascinating. The word destroyed is used here. Some of you maybe have some different translations and it might say this. It might say when the earthly tent that we have is taken down. So destroyed literally means taken down. It means folded up and put away. Here's what it literally means. It means collapsible. So what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that this life that we have right now in these bodies, the existence that we experience, he's pointing out this reality that all of us know is that while we're in this body, life is frail. Life is fragile. We are corruptible, right? We all all live in an earthly body, in an earthly tent, and those are over time eroding. They're weak, they're flimsy. And here's what he says. He says, the future hope that we have, the future life that we have, is that one day we are going to be in an eternal house. That is, in other words, we are going to have a glorified, we are going to have a, Here's a word for you, a resurrected body that is permanent, that does not wear down, that is strong, that is enduring. That's what he says. In fact, to clarify this, notice what he says next. He says in verse 2, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked, all right, so let's, let's explain this real quick in verse two because some of you might be reading that and you might be thinking, what, what is that talking about, right? Like I was tracking with the whole tent thing, but now we're talking about clothes. Like what is Paul talking about here? So let me, let me see if I can explain what the Apostle Paul means by this. I actually think that if you have um, the New Living Translation, uh, some of you might have that Bible, I feel like it actually does a better job of translating the sense of what Paul is trying to communicate in this verse. Let me show you the, the NLT. Here's what the NLT says. It says, we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing for we will put on heavenly bodies. Now here's the key. We will not be spirits without bodies. So Paul says, what's our future, hope gonna, our future life gonna be like? It's gonna be like going from a tent to an eternal house. And he says this, we are not, we are not in the life to come. We're not gonna be spirits that don't have a body. Now, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is actually combating a very, very pervasive line of thinking, which actually still many people believe today. And that's this, that if there is an afterlife, if there truly is, then it is non-physical, right? That, that we're gonna die and our bodies will decay, but our, we will exist in some kind of spiritual, non-bodily, Casper the Friendly Ghost, fog-like, platonic state of existence, right? And the apostle Paul says, no. So let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Let's just say for the sake of illustration that I represent the spirit of a person, okay? So right now, I, re- I represent the spirit of Tony. What a lot of people believed was this. So let's say this tent, this tent represents the body, because that's what Paul is talking about. He's like, we live, right now, we're in a tent. So I'm the spirit of Tony. This is my body, all right? So here's what the, the apostle Paul is saying, all right? So he's basically saying this. I'm going to get in this tent for a second. I right, All right, so he's saying this, all right? He's saying, this is what our existence is like right now, all right? How awesome is this right now? It's phenomenal. This sermon just got intense. I'm sorry, I had to. I had to. It's low-hanging fruit. I might just stay in here. This is so dumb. All right, so here's what... Here's what Paul's saying, right? He's saying that this is our existence is like this. We, our spirits are like wrapped up in this little tent. He says, when we die, well, just for sake of illustration, let me ask you guys a question, real fast. Where am I right now? I'm in a tent. You got it. All right. So here's what he says. He says when you die, he says it's like you get out of your tent, like you get out of the tent. Now let me ask you a question. Where am I? I'm not in the tent. I'm out of the tent, right? And so a lot of people believed this is what would happen when you die. Like you, you go from your tent to like being a spiritual person in our future life is that we're all just going to be like this fog that floats around in this like non-material type of reality. But Paul says, no. He says, that's not what it's going to be like. He says, you're actually going to have a glorified, you're going to have a resurrected physical material body. Now, again, here's the question. Some of you might be like, that sounds really weird. I never, I'd never heard that before, but and that's kind of a strange thing but how 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 does he know that how would the apostle paul know that and here's how if jesus rose from the dead then it tells us something about what our future life is going to be like you see because here's what the bible tells us the bible tells us that those who follow jesus we will follow him in his resurrection that that the resurrected body of jesus is a prototype of what's gonna happen to all of those who put their hope and faith in Jesus, that we will also experience that same type of resurrection. In fact, I don't know if you knew this. I thought this was really, really fascinating. If you look at what the Bible says about Jesus, it says something really interesting. In 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says that the word, that's Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus came here to earth. The Bible says that he put on flesh, that he became a human, just like you and I, but what's so fascinating is the words that are, cho- are chosen to explain that. The Bible says that he made his dwelling among us. And do you know what the original Greek word for made his dwelling is? It is the word tabernacle. And do you guys know what tabernacle means? Remind me, tent. So, so here's what the Bible says. Jesus came to this earth and he put on a tent, just like you and I. God came and camped among us. And just like us, he had a physical body. And just like us, One day, we will, he died, right? He had a flimsy, fallible tent that just like we do that was breakable and corruptible. And so he died just like one day we will die. But here's the thing about Jesus. The Bible says that three days later, he defeated death and he rose from the grave and he was resurrected. And when he was resurrected, in what form did he take? He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't some ghost floating around. He was physical. He was material. He went to his disciples. You guys remember this? Remember what he said to his disciples? Touch me. Feel me. Feel my hands. I'm real. He ate with them. Bible says that he, you know, he rose from the dead and he's like, guys, uh, can you get some fish? Let's eat some fish together. Like, why would he do that? Did he do that because, you know, being dead for three days just worked up a big appetite? He's like, I need some, I need some fish sticks, man. You know, it's a being dead thing. No, he did it because he was trying to show them, I'm, I'm real, man, I'm physical, right? He ate with them. The Bible says he walked with them, took a seven-mile journey with a couple of his disciples with that a couple of weeks ago. And so it, it, in many senses, Jesus reveals to us what type of resurrected body we will have, right? In fact, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 15, which if you're taking notes, I'd jot that down and read that later because 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about the resurrected body. But what 1 Corinthians 15 says is it says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, what that means is those who follow him will have a resurrected body just like him. And it's interesting, you know, people have asked before, what is that body gonna be like? What is that future life and that future body gonna be like? And I honestly, uh, the Bible tells us some, but there's a lot we don't know. But the, the real way that we know the answer to that question is look at Jesus. What kind of resurrected body did he have? And like I said, he could do everything we do but he could do more than that. And the Bible says, for example, I mean, some of it's just unexplainable. At one point, the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. Like, I don't know how he did that. Uh, the Bible says that he could conceal his identity from his disciples, but then he could reveal himself to them. The Bible says at one point that he apparently dematerialized through a wall or a door and appeared to his disciples who were behind locked doors. I don't, I don't know how all it works, but I'm saying he he what the Bible says is that this future hope that we have is gonna be like moving from a tent, going into a building. It is, our future is going to be physical and it's gonna be material. It's gonna be even more so than what we're experiencing right now. So the Apostle Paul shows us this, right? He says, living in a tent is flimsy. Living in a house is strong. And I want you to notice what he says next about our future life. He says that living in a tent is cramped. Living in a house is, well, I guess, I guess restful is a good word. It's homey. Right? Living in a house is Kind of so I want you to notice what he says. I think this is great. He says in verse four, "For while we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened because we do not wish to be under, uh, unclothed, but we wish to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life." And I don't know if you notice this, but this is the second time now in these short verses that the Apostle Paul says that when we're in this tent we groan. He says, "While we're in this tent, we groan," which tells me that the Apostle Paul has probably been camping before, right? Because I think if you've been camping, you understand that when you're in a tent, sometimes you groan, right? That's what happens. It's really interesting. The word groan literally means, it's a word that literally means pressed or squeezed. It's this idea of I'm uncomfortable and I'm groaning because I feel cramped. Like, that's the picture that he's using. Uh, I think we understand this. So let me just ask you a quick question, quick show of hands. How many of you would say that you're a person who likes to go camping? You're, like, outdoorsy type, like, okay, that's a good amount of us. And by the way, when I say likes to go camping, I don't mean in a Winnebago, all right? That does not count. You can't be like, I'm going to go camping, but let me take my house. That's not camp. All right, so how many of you... Again, now, how many of you like to go camping in a tent? All right, good. So that's good. How many of you hate that? You're just like, I'm an indoorsy type. I don't like that kind. I want electricity. I like electric. By the way, last service, I'm not joking, halfway through, all of our electricity went out. It was incredible. And so that was quite an experience. That's why it's good to be at the 11 o'clock service, right? So so camping, I I would say I'm the kind of person that likes to camp. I, I really, I love outdoorsy stuff. I really do. But even as a person who likes that kind of thing, I will tell you, camping is only fun for a little while. And after a while, if the conditions aren't perfect, right? I mean, if the conditions are right, like if the weather's nice and if your tent is working properly and if you have a foam pad underneath your back, like if, that, if that's what's going on, then yes, it's very enjoyable. But if the conditions are off, if the weather is bad, or if you're doing it for more than a couple of days, it can be absolutely miserable, and you find yourself groaning and being like, I just want to get out of this tent, right? Some of you, my guess is, even as I'm telling you that, you're probably thinking of a story of a camping experience where you were groaning, right? Probably the case. I couldn't help but think of this one. I was um, reading this passage over the past couple of weeks, and the whole time when the Apostle Paul said, in this tent we groan." I couldn't help but think of this one time uh, when, I was, uh, when I was, before I got married, like I said, I love to do outdoorsy type of stuff. I went with a group of friends on a backpacking trip um, to the Appalachian Trail. So we went down to the AT um, and we were in Virginia. And if you've never spent any time down, it's beautiful. And so we, we were gonna go on this, this trip. It was only a few days. We weren't gonna be there very long, but we were gonna go backpacking and we were gonna, we were gonna camp, of course. So the first day that we got out there, um, it was ideal, I mean, the, the circumstances and the climate and everything was just picture perfect, right? So the weather, it, was, it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. It was just nice and crisp. And we were walking and everything was beautiful. And I don't even remember what time of year it was, but everything was in bloom. And it was just amazing. And I remember at one point, we got to the top of a mountain and it was such a such a breathtaking view you could see all of the mountain you know the mountain chain around you and you could see it was just unbelievable and the sun was starting to go down and so we said you know what we're going to set up camp right here we're going to sleep here tonight on top of this mountain we're gonna watch the sunset, we're gonna eat dinner. So I remember we set up our tents and we had a fire going and we were looking at the sunset and it was just, I mean, picture perfect, beautiful. And I remember thinking to myself, there is nowhere else on earth I'd rather be than right here, right now, right? I was, I was kind of having a Folgers moment. It was just this incredible thing. And as I was having this moment, I kid you not, you can't script this kind of stuff. There was a, um, I don't know if you call it a herd, I'm not sure, of wild horses, that came running up to us. I mean, it was almost corny. Like, I was like, this is not even, this is like not real. And these horses came up and and there's these wild horses and they let us pet them. So we were petting these horses. There was this one, I'll never forget this guy. He had this long blonde hair. Like, I didn't know horses could have blonde hair. It was this beautiful blonde hair. I named him Fabio. So I I was petting Fabio. And I was like, I am a horse whisperer, man. I am like one with nature. So I'm like watching the sunset and I'm petting Fabio and I'm like, I love camping, you know? And so then finally it came time to go to bed. And so I got in my tent that night and I remember I could hear the fire crackling and you could hear the crickets chirping and, and, uh, and I just remember laying in bed thinking, this, yeah, this is heaven on earth. I love this. And so I drifted off into blissful sleep for about an hour. And then an hour later I woke up and the reason I woke up was because I felt it felt like somebody was pushing my head into the ground repeatedly like this, right? And so I was asleep. And so I'm like, what is going on? So my first thought is, it's probably one of my buddies being a jerk, you know? So I was like, stop. And it didn't, just kept pushing down. Like, what is going on? So finally I was like, I gotta figure out what this is. So I get out my flashlight, turn on my flashlight. It's coming from outside of the tent. So my first thought is, it's a bear, and I'm, I'm dead. So, so I'm like, what is going on? So I get out of my tent real slow, get my flashlight. Here, it's Fabio. It's Fabio. And I don't know why he was doing this to me, but he was just, with his snout, he was just pushing my head. I don't know if he liked the smell of my shampoo or something. And so I just went out. I was like, Fabio, don't you have a photo shoot to be at? Or so get out of here. So I shoot him away. Went back in my tent. I was like, this is fine. I love camping. This is great. Lay back down. An hour later, Fabio. I'm like, get out of here. So hour later, he did this multiple times throughout that night. And so finally, I was like, this is getting old, man. I am tired of this. Like, I, I love camping, but this is ridiculous. Finally, I fall asleep. I'm like, fine. Okay, finally asleep. And I wake up again. But this time, it's not Fabio. This time, it's this loud crack of thunder, just loud as can be. And so sure enough, I'm like, oh, no. Five minutes later, torrential downpour, thunder, lightning. Now, mind you, we are on top of a mountain with metal poles in our tent. And so I go from annoyed to panicked. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. We, like, if lightning hits this tent, I am dead. Like, there is no way. And so I'm sitting, I'm praying in this tent. I'm like, oh, God, please, I need to live to see at least my wedding day, you know? And I'm like praying in this tent. And then, of course, as I'm doing this, my back starts getting wet, like a river of water starts flowing through our tent. So here I am, I'm laying in a pool of water, freezing, lightning, thunder, Fabio, <laughs> right? And the whole time, I'm just groaning. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I wanna go home. I hate this, right? And, and listen, here, here's what the apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, that's a lot what this life is kind of like, honestly. He says, yeah, you know, this life, this life in the tent, he's like, yeah, you know what? There's some wonderful things about it. He's not anti-living. He's not anti-body. He's not anti, he's like, no, there's some wonderful things about this life. But let's be honest. This life is only phenomenal and wonderful if all the circumstances are going right. right. That's it. When I'm healthy and I'm young and I'm not going through any of, The storms or the turbulence that life has to, then sure, it's fine. Life's wonderful. Life is great. But let's be honest, it doesn't stay that way because these tents deteriorate. We get older, we have to weather age. Things don't work the way they used to before. All of a sudden, things start aching. Things start deteriorating. You you start to get older, you know that this starts to happen. You know you're getting old, by the way, when you start getting sleep related injuries. Did you ever get one of those? (laughs) Like you go to bed and you wake up and you're like, man, my neck hurts. Like, what'd you do to your neck? You're like, I literally laid down for seven hours on a mattress, and I hurt my. I don't know how it's possible. So I think the I have found my guess is you could probably the older the older I get, the older we get, we the more we groan, the more we groan because we realize this tent is flimsy because the storms of life and the pain and the suffering that life has the pain of loss, the pain of illness, the pain of sickness, the. All of those things, man, he says, we groan, we groan. But see, here's the hope he says about our future life. He says, the hope is that this life isn't all there is, that yes, we're in an earthly tent, but man, there's a home, there's a house, a permanent, eternal house that God has in store for us. And you see, when we get those houses, they're they're gonna be non-corruptible. They're gonna be eternal. You will one day be, if you follow Jesus and follow him in his resurrection, you will be one day be everything that you were created to be. And, and, and we will have these incredible bodies that we're created to have in this existence that God has destroyed. Listen, this hope, by the way, the hope of the resurrection, gives us a tremendous perspective in the midst of pain, in the midst of illness, in the midst of aging, in the midst of disability. In light of those things, this hope gives us tremendous perspective in the midst of those things. In fact, I couldn't help but think of... Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata, um, she is a um, she's an author, but she's also a radio show host. And when she was 17 or 18 years old, as a young as a young woman, she got in a diving accident, and so she dove into some shallow water. She broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And um, I mean, like you can only imagine being in a situation like that. She really wrestled with uh, depression, really struggled with depression after that, struggled to find purpose with the disability, and and. And, uh, and as you can imagine what that might be like. But through that process, she actually found Jesus, turned her life totally to Christ. And what's really interesting is whenever you hear her talk, and I've heard her talk on multiple occasions, whenever you hear her talk, it's so interesting how often she references the hope of a glorified body, how often she talks about Second Corinthians chapter 5 and the hope that it brings. In fact, I remember this one time, she was talking about this experience since she was at a banquet, And she said the speaker at the banquet at one point challenged everyone in the room to get up and get down on their knees to pray together. And she said that she was watching from her wheelchair as all of these people got down on their knees and were were praying. And she said something I thought was so powerful. Here's what she said. She said, I watched from my wheelchair as maybe five or 600 people got down on their knees. Looking around, I couldn't stop the tears. This is so interesting. I wasn't crying because I couldn't kneel but because it was so beautiful to see everyone else kneeling in prayer. check out what she says next. It made me think of when I get my glorified body. First thing I'll do is I'll get out of this old wheelchair. I'll fall down on grateful, glorified knees. I'll finally have the chance to do what it says in Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I can't wait. So now what could could make somebody have such assurance, such confidence, and such hope, even in the midst of disability? Here's what it is. If Jesus rose from the dead, it is a prototype, and it gives certainty to the future that we have. So Apostle Paul says it. He says that houses, you know, are strong. Tents are flimsy. Tents are cramped. Houses are restful. And here's the last thing he's going to show us. Tents are for travelers. Houses are for residents. Tents are for travelers. Houses are for residents. If you think about a tent uh, in itself, it even, even the, the design of a tent communicates portability, right? This thing is made to be portable. That's why it's designed the way that it is. So who sleeps in a tent? Campers sleep in a tent, right? They sleep in a tent. Um, travelers sleep in tents. Sojourners sleep in tents. People who are passing through sleep in a tent. But who goes, what do you do in a house? Well, you live in a house. Residents live in homes that's where your mailing address is because that's where you reside, right? That's where you, you settle in in a house. And this is exactly what Paul is saying about this future hope that we have. He says, our life here on earth, we are just passing through. This is a temporary season. We are in the wilderness, but there is a promised land that is ahead of us. In fact, I want you to notice what Paul says. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. Now, it's interesting how many times he says, we know, we know, we're confident, we're confident. How can he know and how can he be confident? Because Jesus rose from the dead. So he says, we're confident. We are confident. We know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So you notice what Paul says here. He says, as long as we're in here, as long as we're in the earthly tent, he says, we're away from the Lord. We're not home. We're away from the Lord if we are in the tent. Now, it's fascinating. What he's saying is this. He's not saying that right now that we're not, that God is not with us. He just said the spirit is with us. So we have God's spirit with us. God's presence is among us, but not fully, not the way it's going to be finally when we're with him in eternity. In fact, notice what he says next. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident. There he goes again. We're confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says we would prefer to be out of this body and finally home with the Lord. Now, what is Paul saying here? Is he being fatalistic? Is this like suicidal tendencies? Like, I hate this life. I wish it was over. I wish I. Was. No, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the Apostle Paul just recognizes that our life here on earth is not our final destination, that we're just passing through. This isn't home, but one day we will be home. And in that home, we will be at home with the Lord. As a pastor, um, I've had a number of people ask me, you know, what is heaven going to be like? That's a common question I think that comes up. What's heaven going to be like? You know, the truth is, it's that's a really hard question to answer. Um, the Bible does give us some great stuff that it ta- when it talks about heaven, but it uses oftentimes uses metaphors and and it has to, it has to use metaphors and analogies to explain something that we just couldn't fathom. The Bible says things like this. It says in heaven, there's gonna be no tears. There's gonna be no disease. There's gonna be no sickness. It's a wonderful thing. You know, one of my favorite illustrations, one of my favorite ways the Bible explains heaven is that it's gonna be like going home. It's gonna be like going home. And I think there's just something about that, that this final existence that we have, the future hope that we have, the Bible says that really everything in the human heart that we long for, I believe is gonna be fully and finally realized in that state of existence, we move from the tent and we go to the eternal home that God has for us. So he concludes, and notice how he concludes in verse nine, he says, so we make it our goal to please him, we make it our goal. Some of you have translations, we make it our aim, we make it our aim, we make it our goal. In other words, I want you to notice what he says here. He says, because of this incredible reality, that this life is like a tent and that there's this eternal permanent residence. He says that causes us to recalibrate our aim and our goal because we realize that this is not all there is. And so because of that, we set our aim and we set our goal at something further. And so he says, we make it our goal to please him, to please God, whether we're at home in the body or we're away from it. And then he says this, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one of us may receive what is due to us, the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, what he introduces us to is a real fascinating concept. The apostle Paul says, and the Bible says in other places, that one day every single one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that we are going to give an account to him for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. So the Bible says, now let me just be real clear here When the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ and what this is gonna be like, this is not talking about salvation. It's not what it's talking about. The Bible is really clear that the only way a person enters into the reality that God has for us is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians chapter two says that. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. The only way that we have this hope is if we follow Jesus. However, the Bible is also extremely clear that we will give an account to God and that, and that what we do in this life matters and that what we do in this life has a direct bearing on what our existence in this next life will be like. The Bible says things like there's rewards in heaven. The Bible says things there's like crowns in heaven. And the whole idea is that we can live this life in such a way that can, it can affect and have a bearing on the life to come in eternity. So here's what the Apostle Paul concludes. He says, so because of this incredible hope. He says, we're not gonna sit around and just hate this life and wish that finally we'd go away so we could be. He says, no. He says, because of that, we wanna live differently. wanna live differently. We wanna live in light of eternity. wanna invest this life in such a way that we don't just live as if this, we don't just wanna live to make this experience more comfortable. We don't just wanna live so that we can please ourselves while we're, he says, no, 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 we're, we're considering something greater that is coming. I actually heard someone say one time, I thought this was really, really insightful. They said, most people spend the first half of their life spending their youth trying to get rich. He said, and then they spend the second half of their life spending their riches trying to get young. Talk about a futile, frivolous, cyclical, nonsensical pursuit. This is exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, if this is all we live for, is for this, we're being short-sighted because there's something greater. And if Jesus rose from the dead, it tells us that there's a greater life to come. And so we live in light of eternity. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I think the big question that we have to ask ourselves is this, are we living in light of the future life? How often do you find yourself thinking about, being motivated by, allowing that to reset your perspective on the decisions you make, on how you love, on how you live, how we live our lives together? If Jesus rose from the dead, it says something, and it says something about our future hope. It says something about our future life, and it tells us that our future life is going to be like moving from a temporary earthly tent into eternal permanent house. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and uh, thank you that you are, uh, that, Lord, you are the prototype of what our future life is like. You're the pioneer that has introduced us to a new reality that we didn't previously think was possible. And so Jesus, I pray that uh, even as we fix our gaze and our mind on this hope, Lord, that it would orient us, that it would give us perspective, that it would help us to understand, Lord, the the current life we live in, that we would live in view of eternity. It does give us incredible hope, God. It gives us incredible hope. Because while we're in this tent, we groan, but we long for an existence that's permanent, that doesn't fade away. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us that hope. And Lord, I pray that you would help it, this reality, uh, not just to be you know, stale knowledge that sits in our minds, but Lord, that it would work itself into our hearts and that it would change the way that we live every single day. So God, thanks for every person that's in this room today. Pray that we'd be blessed as we go from this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.